Hello, everyone. 2021 is upon us, and we are back. Our first podcast in the new year. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Jules Hilliard, founder and CEO of SecureBlock Technologies, bringing you the industry's first blockchain operation center, or BOC for short. Monitoring analytics, security, and validation for all your chains, nodes, and dApps from one single pane of glass. Built by the enterprise for the enterprise, we give developers the insight and tools needed to optimize the DevOps cycle, or Dev Chain Ops cycle as we call it, and expedite your next-gen chains and dApps from development into production. For more information, please visit our website at secureblocktech.com. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off on our last podcast, which currently seems like it was last year, way back in 2020. So let me bring the audience up to speed. As everyone knows, we had a major hack in our core infrastructure here in the US and all over the world. So today we're gonna to bring you up to speed on current cyber attacks and the impact on to the industry. How are organizations handling this as it relates to supply chain and a couple other industries as well? What's the potential for blockchain, AI and ML to help business and technology leaders plan for their 2021 uh, and beyond roadmap? Cybersecurity is the battlefield of the future, my friends, and blockchain is the secret weapon. Let's go to our blockchain war room now. Joining us today, we're very lucky to have with us Bruce Phillips. Bruce is Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for West, a Williston Financial Group company. West creates industry-leading technology to streamline and fully integrate the real estate process. Bruce is a sought-out speaker on information security, data protection, risk management, and litigation support. He's a certified information system security professional, is a member of the Information System Security Association. Thank you for joining us today, Bruce. Happy to be here. Great, great. I couldn't do this podcast without my courageous colleagues and usual suspects, Mr. John Kaiser Sose hooks himself, joining us from a secret location and secret and unknown location, of course. As always, a pleasure to have you join us today, John. Thank you, Jules. The pleasure is all mine. And as the security sensei himself, our CISO and dear friend is with us today, Mr. Joel Semangan. Thank you, Joel. Hey, Jules. Um, happy New Year to everyone. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Glad, glad you could all join us here in kicking off our 2021 podcast series. Now, like I mentioned, we have, uh, you know, a lot to talk about today. So let's just go ahead and jump in. You know, we've had a major uh, cyber attack on our uh, infrastructure, both here in the U.S. and globally. It's had a major impact on the industry. Uh, Bruce, you mind kicking us off and, and tell us a little bit about your perspective on, on what we're going through right now? Um, well, you know, it's, it's really interesting um, when it comes up. It's actually a theoretical risk that we've all thought about for years. What happens when the supply chain becomes the attacker? Um, and where do we go from here? Right? Uh, how do you trust a supply chain that is proven to be one, not very secure? Um, you know, what When you look at what's happened with SolarWinds and two different bad actors were able to get in and get two different pieces of malware in two different pieces of the Orion code, um, and have that happen and de deployed for almost uh, nine months. Um, how do you then start trusting them again? And then two, they they were really targeted. They were targeted in two things. 
were targeted in the U.S. government because it was a, a, a basically a, a pro, a, they were doing reconnaissance um, against the U.S. government. But they also, if you take a look at what they did, they hit businesses, large businesses, Microsoft, um, VMware, things like that, that are pervasive through our industry. And they were able to get in, create uh, godlike accounts within those organizations and do things that we still don't know what they've done yet. So it's not just the fact that it was solar winds that was the problem. Now we have an unknown, which is all of the tools, the both infrastructure tools and um, security tools that we rely on to tell us the truth. And we don't know if they're telling us the truth anymore. And they may be the thing that's hacking us in. And so the challenge is where do we go from here and how do we get a level of comfort so that we can actually start patching again? Absolutely. No, thank you for that. We all know the expression flying blind, and now we're searching for a hack blind. And, and that's always a, an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, John, uh, why don't you give us your perspective on, on what you're seeing out there? Yeah, Jules. So basically, you know, to reiterate what Bruce said, this is something that everyone's kind of understood as a, a plan of attack that is uh, well, certainly possible because of the sophistication involved. It was probably not probable. In other words, if someone really wanted to hack you and take information, as we call it, like kitty scripts, et cetera, they wouldn't take the time to do what this group did. Uh, and as Bruce mentioned before we had the podcast uh, start, you know, this was well thought out, well planned. In fact, at each execution point, someone had to be involved in making a decision. I call it the human in the loop. So it wasn't just totally automated. It wasn't an AI machine learning script that they put on someone's computer and it, you know, it, it scripted it all out and, and no fuss, no muss, right? So I think what we're finding, as I mentioned in our podcast last week, is that in the uh, development uh, supply chain or development process, security has to be built in from the beginning. And part of that securitization becomes knowing who your supplier is. For like know your customer in, uh, in banking, you need to know that chip I'm using or that software that I'm using to build out my uh, my product. You know, what's my level of uh, of um, sophistication, knowing what they're about. So, I I heard recently, and I don't know if it's true or not, that Microsoft itself found instances of where these folks had poked around at some of their source code. It didn't prove to be an issue uh, because of. Microsoft's, uh, you know, methodology regarding source, source, source code. But, you know, this is something that going forward, I think, is literally shocked of uh, security experts uh, around the world, but also put us automated uh, AI ML guys on notice that, you know what, you just can't set it and forget it or it's uh, attacks are going to happen. And unless someone's humans in the loop to figure it out, it's going to be uh, devastating and have a lot of term effects. No, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, Joel, you and I have been messaging and talking about this this entire time. And I know you've got some great insight on this. So you want to jump in here and tell the audience a little bit about 
uh, what you've discovered in your research? Yeah, and, and um, again, that's to, to add on to what um, Bruce and, and John mentioned. Uh, for those who have probably um, didn't get a chance to catch our last session, I mean, I mentioned that this, this uh, cyber attack is not just local to us, and it's really a worldwide impacted uh, breach that, that's really almost catastrophic, and it opened up a can of worms, as uh, we've talked about prior to this uh, session. Um, and, you know, from a statistics perspective, I mean, I, I found out that, I mean, the U.S. was on the top of the list for the top 20 worst affected countries of data theft, you know, where we um, reported about 1.8 million reported cases. And um, it's not just the solar winds uh, breach, and there was also a reported firearm breach when that, uh, that actually uh, showed that the attack was very sophisticated. And, and the problem that I mentioned, uh, and, and I want to point it back to today's discussion, is that um, it's, it's really a problem of not just being able to uh, identify uh, or uh, be re uh, receiving the report of the breach, but it's really about how quickly can an organization um, identify that they have uh, been impacted by a, a massive type of breach such, such as this one. Uh, and I found out some of the data, like it's, it takes about over 200 days before an organization can even detect that they have been breached and about 70 days to um, react and contain uh, the breach, which again, uh, it, it's, it's reflective of how we really need to look at these breaches because breaches will not stop anytime soon. And in fact, they will be uh, escalating in, in very sophisticated manners as even technology advances. So we can all catch up with the greatest and uh, latest and greatest technology, but but that's to me is, is key as, as, as a security guy, it is the ability to be able to uh, continue to monitor and look at our organization, our business transactions, and set that system to notify us right away and, and narrow down uh, that uh, ability for us to be able to identify when the breach happened and react to it. Because I think that's kind of key uh, at this point, so. Yeah, Joel, I'd, Thank like, you for, I'd like to tag on to what Joel just said, because 270 days mm -hmm. to detect a breach. Five years ago, I gave a presentation where it was 270 days to, de to detect a breach. Five years before that, it was 270 days mm -hmm. to detect a breach. And we've known this now for years. I mean, if you've watched the Verizon data breach, uh, reports. We know that it's the time from breach to detection is way too long. And we all look at things like user and entity behavior analytics. We look at ML, we look at AI, we look at all these things. We say, well, this is going to shorten the breach, uh, the, 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 the time to detection. And we haven't done it. But the challenge becomes, be, the, I think one of the reasons why, especially in this, in this solar winds one, this was a very good group of attackers. Uh, they were they they got into a way in, into a system that could get into other systems, but once they got there, it wasn't an automated attack. It's exactly what you said, John. It was not automated. It was there were people on the keyboards, and they were doing some really interesting things. I was at a breach briefing uh, two days ago.
uh, where uh, one of the things that they were doing is they were compromising the first responders' email accounts. Your IR team's email was compromised so that they could see what you were, what they, what you were doing to combat them. That's a level of you know sophistication that we haven't seen before. Um, and at this level, we got to get better. Uh, we got to be able to understand our supply chain. We got to understand what we're bringing into our systems. And we got to be able to respond to them as quickly as we can. And 270 days is not the amount of time you want to do that. No, you couldn't, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've, we've been in, in a couple of great points, uh, Joel, bringing up the fact that some people will say, you know, we're going to fix, you know, cybersecurity attacks. No, we're not. This is a battle. It's going to be a never ending battle. And, Bruce, to your point, yeah, I've heard that 270 days now for over a decade. You know, we've got to figure out a, a way to get better. And I'm excited to jump into that. I've, we've got some great ideas on that, talking about blockchain, AI, and ML. But before we jump into that, I, I want to kind of give the audience a little bit uh, more information on just what's happening today with the current, you know, infrastructure and ecosystem and how organizations are handling this current attack right now. Bruce, I know you're, you're knee-deep in real estate title and escrow. If you want to jump in there or another uh, industry, feel free to jump in and talk about, you know, what are, what are these companies doing? What can they do? Well, I think we're all sort of in the, in this, the same space, right? Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out um, what's the next step. Um, you know, if, if you were an Office 365 organization, what do you do next? Because you can pretty much guarantee that somebody has the opportunity and the capability now to breach your email systems. Um, rather simply, and you'll, you won't know it with, with the monitoring you're doing today. Um, you know, if, if you're a SolarWinds customer, you know, how do you trust what's going on? How do you find out what's happening? It really raises the bar on uh, understanding risk and understanding our ability to, to see our networks and then make decisions based on that is. Because, you know, when you take a look at it, you know, the guidance right now is, you know, basically turn off solar winds. Well, can you really do that and effectively run your organization? Um, the answer to that is no. And this is, well, then block solar winds from having any access whatsoever to the Internet. Can you do that? We have to think through that because a lot of people are using solar winds to reach out and look at their outside interfaces to make sure they're still alive. Well, if you turn that off, now you don't know when your systems go down. Now you have a customer effect that you don't know. So it's not as simple. I mean, you know, CISA came out with some really good guidance and it, and it is, it's good guidance. There's some really interesting things in there, but they look at it from, this is a, an, an autonomous unit. It is solar winds. So you have to deal with it as solar winds. Solar winds is part of your ecosystem. And just like anything in your body, if you take something out, what's it going to affect? And how's the rest of the body going to, to, to respond to that? And I think that's what we're still trying to do today. I was on a call just, just uh, 30, 40 minutes ago, having that discussion about, you know, the effects of, you know, hardening solar winds and, and blocking it from talking to anything but certain things. And it becomes, as you dig into these things, it gets harder and harder and harder to, to answer the questions. And part of that is um, we don't monitor well enough. We don't log well enough. 
and we do things as quickly as we can to support the business and we don't do the analysis on the back end of what's actually going on within our organizations and what everything actually touches. And the older the organization, the more spread that becomes. And that those tentacles start getting out there and they're harder and harder to find and they're not well documented. So I think those are some of the things that I'm looking at is how do we get better at understanding our, 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 our you know, ecosystem and the effects that something will have on that and then be able to respond to that? Because we can't stop business. Right? We got to keep, keep moving forward. We can't stop. So, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do surgery on your knee while running a marathon. Absolutely. And then like you mentioned, the services uh, that SolarWinds are providing are absolutely essential. Monitoring analytics and, you know, and then as, as you know, we have a, a product specifically for blockchain. I'm going to talk about a little later and how we actually tackle that problem, you know, and, and understanding, as we've seen from the beginning, that hacks are going to continue to happen. And as a supporting piece of technology, we've got to be prepared uh, to, to deal with those hacks as well. So before we go down that path, uh, Joel, you and I were talking a lot about supply chain the last couple of weeks and then prior to the call. And you had uh, some really interesting uh, talking points on, on how supply chain organizations and technologies are dealing with these attacks. Do you mind uh, talking to the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, Joel, um, supply chain, as, as, as we um, have discussed during this uh, session, is, I think, uh, key to um, a lot of the problems that we're probably facing right now. And one of the things that as I was like looking on the internet and researching how organizations are trying to uh, work this out in, in that area, I, I found a very good uh, report that I saw that I found that IBM is already is like discussing how blockchain technology uh, can be used to uh, validate the vaccine supply chain and personal records. As, as we all know, with the global uh, pandemic, um, and the vaccine um, efforts to really do this as quickly as, as, as it can be done. Um, there's the concern about uh, security and privacy uh, with regards to medical and uh, electronic uh, protected health information records, right? So this, again, is going to be, it's very impactful. And, and, and I started to read more and, and look into it. And IBM uh, was, was identifying that, that this is going to be very impactful uh, in their distribution or support to distributing the COVID-19 vaccine. As they see blockchain technology's uh, ability to make uh, the data easy to verify and uh, dif very difficult to falsify, which again, because of the blockchain technology's uh, immutable um, inherent uh, characteristics, right, as we all know. And that with blockchain, they will also be able to ensure that the vaccines are shipped to the right place and that they're not diverted or stolen by other uh, bad actors, right? And that it can also be used to, to help patients track their vaccine records and possibly even use this as the proof of vaccination moving forward as people try to travel or for school requirements and such. And uh, according to IBM, quote, uh, I, I want to uh, say this, that they say that this will be the most sought after counterfeit and probably diverted drug ever for the first six to 12 months after it comes out. So by reading that, I can really see that 
having an organization to be um, uh, thinking forward thinking on how they should be able to um, uh, plan on their uh, uh, plans to really secure their business organizations um, uh, information and by uh, IBM's technology and using blockchain technology to be able to implement this vaccination uh, distribution is a good implementation or a good sample that, that we can all um, reflect or at least uh, use as a sample. Jules? Absolutely. And um, John, as a, as a man who needs uh, many vaccines, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts possibly on uh, what, what organizations can uh, are currently doing and what they can do to, to help in the situation? Well, as I mentioned, you know, in a couple of podcasts we had as well as this one, you know, coming from a development software development background, uh, you know, we used to say the first decision was build or buy, right? Do we build it in-house? Do we support it in-house? Do we keep it in-house? Or do we buy the components we need to add to the software? And to Bruce's point, you know, there are probably way beyond solar winds types of vendors scenarios where we just don't know if there is a supply chain uh, problem or attack lurking in the background. Uh, and as I mentioned last week too, the other decision that CIOs are making today and they're rethinking to a certain extent is, you know, do I host my, my uh, assets on site, on premise, or do I use the cloud? And a lot of people, you know, think about those security risks and the trade-offs. But um, so the, the what I'm hearing is that a lot of uh, companies and CIOs are looking at what they have out there in terms of distributed uh, computing versus uh, in-house or um, vendor supply and looking at, again, maybe there's components we need to bring back on-premise or find a way to harden more as uh, as opposed to being on the cloud. And then the analogy I use is like, if you're gonna, you know, you, you wanna put together, you wanna build a house, right? Or you, you want housing. So you have two choices. You can hire a contractor or you can be your, your own GC and you can, you know, go out and find components like wood, you know, toilets, electricals, blah, blah, blah. It could take you months to put that together. Or you can go to a modular home builder and say, hey, I want to buy, you know, plan B or plan A or, you know, plan C, right? And they come and they put it on your property and you hook a few things together and bang, zoom, you have the, the, the you know, the, the unit complete. The problem with that scenario is you, you don't know if the suppliers for each of those components meet your requirements, maybe the plumbing's okay, but the electrical was done poorly. So at some point your house uh, catches fire because it's poorly wired. Uh, so then it comes down to, okay, well, how do I protect this asset now that I have it in place, whether I built it from scratch, stick built, or whether I do a modular? Well, you put in some sort of fire prevention system, right? So what you do is you, have a uh, fire uh, company or a fire uh, a security company come and put in sensors in your home that 
will allegedly go off when there is a fire in your kitchen or your bathroom or wherever, and then it'll spray, you know, if you have a sprinkler system, spray that, et cetera. Uh, but I think a lot of people are saying, okay, maybe I don't trust the sensor. Maybe the sensor could be malfunctioned or it could be that the sensor is, uh, you know, IP controlled and what if the internet doesn't work? Uh, so maybe I should consider having those, uh, those, I should you know, flood the house with Halon all day long, or I should go out and start hosing the outside of my house every day of the week, knowing that there's probably a 1% chance I'm going to get a fire, right? So people are kind of like, not sure exactly where to go from where I'm talking because they feel like they've been so violated in ways that they really never thought possible that they're making all sorts of either false assumptions or, um, you know, knee jerk reactions to what can be done. And there's no clear cut answer. As Bruce said earlier, uh, there are things we just don't know and will continue to be unknowable. Absolutely. No. And I think that that takes us right into, I think what we all really want to talk about is, you know, the planning for the future. You know, okay, it's here. We know it. It's it's been here. It's getting worse. And now the leaders, all of us, have been on many calls and, and watched many uh, video seminars on, you know, how are we going to plan for the future? And what's the potential of blockchain, AI, and ML, you know, to help the business and technology leaders plan for their future roadmap? You know, a couple of years ago, uh, when I got up and, and we were, you know, innovating, what were we going to do? As you know, we've got a SolarWinds-esque product specifically for blockchain. And someone would ask, you know, and when I was up on stage talking about this, everyone would kind of make fun of us, to be honest with you, make fun of me. Why would we need to monitor blockchain? It answers all the problems. And I would say it does not answer all the problems. It, it, it's a step in the right direction. It adds a lot of built-in functionality that uh, we felt could help in uh uh, limiting some of the abilities of uh, cyber attacks and hackers at getting at the pertinent data and causing too much damage. But that monitoring and analytics and security validation stack, um, I felt was going to be even more imperative to help um, ensure uh, that those chains, not only could you uh, expedite the development cycle of the chains themselves by having the visibility, but when you deploy them into production, and it's also why we took the extra time and the extra effort to be built on chain for chain uh, in, an, in an example or a use case, if you will, if a hacker does come along and somehow finds their way into our system, you know, we're able to track uh, every key, much like the hackers used to defend themselves from being found. Uh, our system is capable of turning on uh, monitoring of the actual users themselves, meaning from our users, all the way, uh, the administrator users on our end, all the way to the to the user on the other end of the application. So with the proper alert sent and the proper configuration and tracking turned on, if something out of line was to happen, pages were be viewed, uh, users were set up, like you mentioned, Bruce, we would actually be able to be alerted that in fact that was happening. But if in fact a hacker did get in and they were able to look around the system, we log every keystroke, every page, every view, every widget, uh, and we would be able to quickly uh, analyze exactly where the hacker came from and what access did they get and, and, of course, turn them off in real time. So we feel that blockchain plays a role in the right direction. 
and we feel that we've uh, got an innovative stack that sits on top of it to add another layer of protection on top of the chain itself. Uh, Bruce, prior to prior to this uh, podcast, you had some great things to say as well on how you saw uh, blockchain AI and, and ML playing a role in your future planning. Uh, you want to talk to the audience a little bit about that? Um, yeah, if I can remember what it was I said. Um, <laughs> yeah, is, well, some of the things that you were saying actually, you know, keyed some some things in 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 my mind. In, in, if we stay with the sort of idea of the um, the, the 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 supply chain being compromised, um, and the problem we have today with solar winds is not the fact that whether or not you are running a vulnerable version of solar winds, or whether or not it beaconed out. Um, the problem is, what did it do after that? Where did it move? What did it touch? And what are the other things that introduced into your your, your environment? That's the hard thing that, that you can do that, that anyone who's been breached today has to be able to do. And if you can monitor that and you can have an, an immutable source of user activity, um, that's going to help with your incident response because now you know what they're doing. You're not trying to guess what they're doing because in actuality, what it really is when we're doing incident response and we're trying to track down an attacker, we're trying to guess what it is they did and then go look there and then guess what they did next and go look there. Um, so a technology that would allow us to put together a chain of events that we can then quickly go review would be brilliant uh, because that would shorten that time uh, from, you know, because there's two big numbers we have to worry about, right? From breach to detection and from detection to remediation, right? Those are you, both sides of that need to be shorter. Um, and, you know, if you take a look at what we've been doing today, with, with the solar winds activity, we're still trying to detect everything that's going on. And every other day we're hearing something new that we've just found out. And that's, you know, and if you really go back, that's all the way back to uh, the FireEye breach because that's how they breached FireEye. Um, and so we're still finding out what happened. Um, so, you know, blockchain is something that we can utilize potentially if we can figure out a good implementation um, that will help us track that. But now you're looking at massive amounts of data. And massive amounts of data means massive amounts of people straining their eyeballs to read that data or AI and ML um, to be able to quickly analyze that data and give us pointers. And the end of that is always, you know, you, you still have to have the Mark One motto eyeball looking at what actually happened, but you need to do them, you need to target what they're looking at. Um, and so I think that's really how, if you're looking where we're going and where we should be going, is how can we navigate through logs using the tools available or that aren't available to, to today that we can think about, blockchain being one of them, ML, AI is the other part, so that we can get faster in detection and faster in, in remediation. So I think that's part of the things that I'm looking at uh, for 2021 and, and, and on. You know, how do I shift the platform? Because we've now taken something that was a theoretical and proven that it was actually fairly easy to do and stay under the radar for a long time. So 
now how do we retool what are we doing right and what do we need to get better at and what are the tools right because we're no we're always going to have a shortage of talented individuals to do this um that's we, we rely on that so we got to have tools that help us but you can't automate everything because then the attacker will look at what you're doing and what you've automated and they will use your automated response against you uh, and they'll come in a different way and you're going to be chasing your tail over here or it's just going to turn it into a denial of service attack um, by making you shut down your networks because of an automated response. So I think that's the, that's the idea, taking a look at how can we use the technologies that we understand today and utilize them to get better. Um, the last thing I'll say, because I always say this when I talk about blockchain, blockchain is a cool technology. The failure in most blockchain implementations is the implementation. Trying to not understanding the problem you're trying to solve and then building something to just solve something you don't understand. Um, so make sure you understand the problem and then find the tool that helps you answer that question. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the, when we set out to build our platform and our, our BOC, our Blockchain Operations Center, we actually didn't have existing infrastructure in our roadmap of providing support for existing infrastructure, but now because we thought companies like SolarWinds and the other major players had it covered. But we're realizing we might have a whole nother opportunity as blockchain is maturing, uh, still needs some maturity, adapts themselves, needs development. That's not what we do, of course, you know. Uh, we're realizing that, you know, with the, our architecture, you know, again, as you mentioned, searching in the dark uh, and you're trying to find out where were the hackers, what did they see, what damage have they done? You don't even know if they covered their tracks. They might have deleted their trails. Uh, that you may not know where they have or have not been. Whereas if we had been integrated uh, fully with tracking on, you know, we do drop that data eventually into a decentralized database. So they could try to possibly cover their tracks on the front end. But by utilizing a on blockchain, for blockchain, monitoring an analytics system like ours, you can you have valid confidence, uh, confident information on where they have been. You know, now, that being said, John, I want to jump in with you because Bruce mentioned, uh, you know, using AI and ML to overcome, uh, you know, the, the issue that we have with people. You know, we just don't have enough people to really tackle this. You mind jumping in and, and talking about how AI and ML can bolster blockchain and possibly tackle some of these issues? Sure. Well, you know, first off, uh, AI and ML are often characterized as, you know, black box, black art types of scenarios where things go in, they come out, no one knows what happens in between, right? And that's true to a certain extent. And that's to Bruce's point is, you know, if someone can hack into that model or that algorithm and figure it out and figure out what it's doing, then it can be it can be used against you instead of for you, right? So it it in and of itself is not the answer to making sure that these attacks do not happen. Uh, just as blockchain is not a silver bullet, and as as Bruce mentioned, you know, it's the implementation of both. AI and ML and blockchain that really makes the difference between success or failure in these scenarios. Um, I happen to be a, a firm believer in the notion of deep packet inspection and, uh, you know, log detection and log analytics 
um, along the lines of what Dark Trace and other companies are doing. Uh, again, they can't cover the ground that um, that's that's open for discussion, but uh, I think there are some ways to leverage AI and ML in those scenarios where you really understand uh, what's going on. You have visibility into your systems and and monitoring helps do that, but visibility is key. And if it's a person looking at those log files or recognizing patterns or even just responding to a red light, green light, yellow light scenario, uh, I can't emphasize enough, you can't take a human out of the loop and expect everything to be entirely automated. It just it will never happen. Yeah, if I can add to that, um, John, uh, that basically, you know, AI with the convergence of um, AI and uh, blockchain and with ML, I mean, I heard Bruce and uh, and, and Ali guys some mention it that you know the automation is obviously key because as we try to look at terabytes and multi terabytes of, of data log analysis, we capture you know um, lots of the uh, activities and in real time and it's important to have that and the technology to do that in an automated way and to be able to also make sure that organizations have the ability to identify anomalous activities and also positive activities because a lot of companies uh, are probably just focusing on the anomalous activities that are negative but they should also see that if an added admin account was created on a Saturday at 2 a.m. It's probably not common for an activity on any system, right? But, and, and so those are kind of the things that the person would also need to be able to analyze. Again, automation is great, but there's also needs to have uh, the ability for uh, an internal person because an internal person has the understanding of how the business organization works in their um, activities and trans transactions. So that's, I think, is, is key. And one of the things also that I kind of wanted to, to add to this is that um, third-party vendor management is, is also uh, key for an organization, for any organization, to make sure that they continue to stay on top of it. Because as we have seen back in the days where um, the target breach and, and others were very impactful for uh, or what's resulted, uh, resulted into uh, from a third party uh, breach, that it's important to trust and verify um, that your third party vendors or business partners are also staying on top of their game to make sure that their, their patches or any um, um, upgrades and, and updates are in tune and in, done in a timely manner. So um, that's very critical. And, and to Bruce's point earlier, that, that the window, we really need to make sure that that execution of the patching and just regular maintenance of our systems and applications are, 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 are that we are on top of it. And lastly, I mean, we all know about and heard about the CIS top 20 critical security controls. And for the past, I think pretty much 10 plus 20 years and so, that, that the number one and number two on the list is always the inventory of hardware and inventory of software. Is, is important for an organization to make sure that they know what they have, what applications, and that the inventory is up to date because 
if any applications or, or breach that's reported out there, they can quickly, and again, this is where um, what Bruce Ben mentioned earlier, the ability for an organization to uh, identify uh, of the breach and even remediate uh, the breach without having a solid, up-to-date inventory of your hardware and software, it's going to be hard for an organization to really put their finger and, and tell the board or their um, uh, trusted uh, uh, companies to uh, executives that they're not impacted by the breach or they're only partially impacted. So having a strong and updated security control, uh, uh, I mean, inventory of their inventory of their hardware and software is critical to an organization moving forward 2020 and one and so forth. Absolutely. Thank you, Joel. And, you know, we, I, I feel we could go, uh, we're already well over the amount of time we like to talk on these, probably go a lot farther. Bruce, do you want to, do you want to jump in for a few minutes or are you, are you ready, ready to wrap it up? Well, I, I'm going to just, I'll wrap up with, with what Joel said. Um, basic security hygiene mm -hmm. is the number one thing that we need to remember, right? And it's not ML, it's not blockchain, it's not AI. It's why do I have these ports open? Um, why is my network not segmented? Where do I have all of my software? What, what systems are they running on? Because you can't answer a lot of the very basic questions, right? If you don't know that you're running SolarWinds, you don't know if, you've, if you're subject to the breach. If you don't know that the version that you're running, you don't know if you're running, if you have an issue with the breach. Um, and so that's just the basic sort of security hygiene that we've sort of thought, we've almost forgot about over the years. Uh, because there are really sophisticated attacks, and this is one of them. I mean, but most of them aren't. Um, you know, most of them are simply because we didn't close ports on the firewall. We replaced the firewall with another firewall, and we didn't do our due diligence, and we didn't do the right thing. And now all of a sudden, SMBV1 is open to the Internet, and I'm owned. Um, that happened to a lot of people and cost a lot of people a lot of money that could have been stopped by simply doing the basics. But the basics are where you start. Understanding risk, understanding tools, and understanding how you can automate what you can automate is important. But the key word to this is, if you don't have a process already in place that's working, you cannot automate it. Um, so, that's the things you need to think about. Look at what they are, what they're doing. Do some research on on the attackers that we have today. Um, you know, they're they are always getting better. You know, back in the day, they were script kitties. They were doing you know just simple stuff. Now you have some really brilliant people that are doing really intelligent things for all the wrong reasons, and we have to fight it. Um, and that's the that's the thing that I love about my job. I've been doing this for a long time, and every day is a new day. Absolutely, and and, and, and that's a great wrap. And I'm going to just throw in a challenge out here that just came up. First time we're going to do a audience challenge, actually. And I really understood the the importance of, of what Bruce and, Joel, and Bruce and Joel talking about inventory, making sure you have accurate inventory, and knowing what what devices you have out there and what patch levels. Now, if you get hacked, how do you know that the hackers didn't change that information? You know, so you go through your list and 
you know, you don't a couple of devices are left out there on purpose by design by the hackers. So I'm going to challenge the audience for those of you out there to start your first blockchain project. Put your inventory on chain, build a little decentralized database, you know, put your inventory on there, put your toe in the water, get a little familiar with blockchain. Very simple to figure out and it might help you understand the technology better and then try to hack it. You know, try to mess around and get a familiar with the technology. And, and with that, I think uh, with that challenge, I'll, I'm going to wrap it. We're, we're way over time. Uh, Bruce, uh, I hope you can come back. Thank you for being here. Uh, hope to hope to see you on the podcast again soon. Um, I enjoyed it. And uh, anytime. Uh, I've had a lot of fun just having the discussions. Absolutely. And uh, John, Mr. Kaiser, so say I know you probably got people outside already cars pulling up and you need to change your location but i do appreciate you being here today with us as well thank you i'm here we will see me <laughs> and joel my good friend it's always a pleasure uh thank you for bringing that great security insight out of the conversation today you're welcome and uh, i want to thank bruce again and of course uh good friend uh, john and jules until next time Absolutely. 2021 is off to a great start. And uh, to our great audience, as always, we hope that you found this podcast interesting and informative. Please join us again next week as we continue to build the bridge between blockchain technology and the enterprise. And please visit our website to learn more or contact us at secureblocktech.com. Have a great week and please reach out with any and all feedback, questions, or desire to join the blockchain revolution.